to another great episode of The Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Brian, where they talk bourbon and, of course, drink bourbon. Grab yourself a pour, kick back, and enjoy another trip down the bourbon road. It's never too early to start planning your trip to the Bourbon Trail for 2023. We hope you'll join the Bourbon Road crew as we pull out all the stops this year at Bourbon on the Banks. So mark your calendars for October 6th and 7th, and we'll plan on seeing you in Frankfort, Kentucky. Be sure to listen in during the halftime break for all the details on Bourbon on the Banks. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Bourbon Road Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Shannon, and today we are in Atlanta, Georgia. Melody and I are here today. We've been invited into ASW Distillery. We've got Chad and Witt with us, and we're in their house today, but we're going to drink their whiskey. Why don't we start by saying a little bit about what you do here? Chad, what do you do at ASW? Uh, yeah, I, I try to provide value where I can, um, mainly on the sort of design marketing front. Uh, so I head up marketing and then, um, help with out of state sales as well. So new markets, um, we're in Texas and Southern California and East Tennessee and Florida, in addition to our home state of Georgia. And, uh, obviously as everyone probably knows or is familiar with every state is different in terms of its, you know, um, distributors and regulatory requirements and administrative filing stuff. So um, it's a process. It's a process. Yeah. yeah. That's why we have whiskey to um, make it significantly less boring. So your job is to shout ASW from the rooftops. That's right. But the more whiskey you have, the more your paperwork gets sloppy. So you got you to find a balance. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep discipline in it too, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> And Wit, how about you? What do you do for ASW? Yeah, so I, I work in production. Uh, I'm a distiller here. There's uh, two of us that make whiskey. Uh, Justin Manglitz, who's our master distiller, and then me, I'm the distiller. And then we actually also have Justin Camp now. He's uh, just started making some whiskey mash with us. So what what specifically were you doing? We had to wait on you to come in here because you had to go off to the st- to the still house and do something. What were you doing out there? Yeah. So I was just making sure I just made my cut. So I was just making sure everything was running properly. Uh, the steam lines were running smooth. So sometimes the steam lines get a little clogged. You have to blow it down, release some of the water flow, any condensate that might be trapped in there. So just making sure steam's flowing properly, uh, slowing down the distillation could obviously change the, the distillate. So just making sure everything's going good. So not everybody, not all our listeners are going to know what making the cut means. So yeah. the whiskey's just being distilled and it's coming off the still and being condensed. And you've got some things coming off early that you don't want. Yeah. And then the, the hearts, you're getting ready to cut for the hearts. Yeah. Is getting, it's, it just started to come off the still. Yeah. So, so I just made the cut. Um, now, essentially, so we, we do double pot distillation. So we have two pot stills. Uh, we have our wash pot still and then our spirit still. And the spirit still is uh, where we make all these cuts. That's our second distillation. Uh, it's going to be different than what most American whiskey is distilled on, which is a column still. Sure. Those column stills run continuously. So there's actually no cutting involved 
and column still distillation. It's where on the column they pull it off. Yeah, exactly. So every every plate in the column uh, essentially removes some of those off flavors, off alcohols that you don't want in your finished product. The, the hangover. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or in some cases, the get really sick stuff, right? Sure. Yeah. So removing those uh, in pot distillation is completely different because in column distillation, the still is designed to do that for you. In pot distillation, you have a little more control over it. So you can uh, decide how much of that head you want to get rid of, how much of that tails you want to get rid of. And making those decisions and making those cuts will really be what the finished part of the process, uh, the finished product is. So the head parts usually going to have what you said, like the hangover, the methanol. Um, yep. Most of those, almost all those go down the drain. Um, Except but, if it's a plastic bottle, in which yeah. case they put it directly into it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It also gives us a little more control over the finished product as well. So you can really control the flavor and the viscosity and all those things by how you make your cuts. Exactly. And, and, like and you also affect the bottom line, right? Because you're throwing away things that you don't keep. Sure, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's a big part of it, just knowing what part of the alcohol you want to get rid of because there's some flavors that come off the still that are bad flavors, which will actually turn into good flavors later. And there's some flavors that may be deceivingly good that are actually bad flavors that you don't want in your final product. See that folks, that's why uh, distillers are not just plant operators. They actually know what they're doing, you know, cause they're making whiskey good. They're not just making it and putting it in a barrel and the barrel makes it good. It has to be good first. Yeah. So, all right. So we, we're going to drink through five of your whiskeys today. You've set them out for us. Thank you so much for, for doing this for us. But uh, I think we're going to start with a bourbon, aren't we? We sure are. Well, our listeners do love to get straight to that whiskey. So why don't <laughs> we do that now? What do we have in our first class? So this is Fiddler Unison bourbon. This is our flagship. Uh, it's 90 proof, uh, high wheat bourbon. Um, it is, I'll, I'll let Wit talk about some of the technical details, but it is our best seller here in Georgia. Uh, and it makes uh, a, a great neat pour, but it also, uh, if you're an old fashioned drinker, uh, I find that it, um, and I may be biased, but it makes a really good one as well. Now, are there multiple expressions of Fiddler? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so it, it's, branches out from there. This is the unison though. This is your flagship product. Yeah. You know, whiskey itself is a tree, right? With multiple branches and Fiddler within the whiskey tree is its own little tree. So yeah. it's like a, it's like a tree grafted onto a tree. Okay. So the Fiddler unison, now what's the proof on this? 90. And and what's the mash bill on this? Yeah. So the Fiddler unison is it's uh, actually two different whiskeys blended together. So we have a sourced MGP high wheat mash bill that is 51% corn, 45% wheat, 4% malted barley, blended with our uh, Fiddler Soloist, which is a high malt bourbon that we make in-house, which is a four grain, uh, all malted secondary grain bourbon. So we have two types of malted barley, uh, malted wheat, malted rye, and then a chocolate malted rye. If I told you the percentages of all those, uh, it's going to get too complicated. It, well, it's like 13.3% of this and like 9.2% of that. It's like, I, I really, honestly, I would have to look it up. I could tell you the exact mash bill and bags. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, th we use this many bags of wheat and we use this many bags of rye. So I could tell you in pounds, I could tell you in, uh, 
bags, but percentage, I would have to actually look it up on the yeah, computer. Well, that, that's fine. We understand. So <laughs> this is a marriage of two bourbons. So it it's still a, a straight bourbon. Yes. And uh, the age on the two products? Yeah. So the MGP right now that we're sourcing is anywhere between four and five years old. And a lot of it's hitting that five-year-old mark for the products that we're putting out right now. I think at some point it was three years old, but we're kind of getting away from that product. We're trying to make this a four to five-year-old product. The uh, bourbon that we use that's in-house is a four to five-year-old bourbon as well, the in-house bourbon. And the blending percentage is roughly about 25-75, using 75% of the uh, sourced MGP, 25% of ours. And one of the main reasons for that is that the soloist itself has a very distinct flavor profile and we still want this to be kind of like an entry-level traditional flavor profile bourbon okay uh, when you start introducing more and more soloist it's going to start uh, hitting some of those uh, kind of funky multi uh, leathery notes that you're going to get from the soloist which is very good and it's delicious in the soloist but for a new bourbon drinker sometimes it might be off-putting so i mean long term if you want to uh and we're going to cut to the chase here in a minute and actually taste it. But in the long term, if you wanted to slowly get away from the MGP edition, if you ever got to that point, you're going to have to try and reproduce that weeded mash bill in order to try and keep that profile. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think right now, uh, just with we would have to actually build a new facility. Our facility maxes out at 500 barrels a year. Yeah. Um, and we sell pretty close to, I think, 1,500 barrels a year of whiskey. So most of our uh, products, the Fiddler Unison and the Fiddler Georgia Heartwood, those two are the, and the Fiddler Amburana now, those three are the only three source products. And then we have dozens of small brands that we, we re- release that are all made in house that these tiny brands uh, kind of make up a majority of our catalog, but they make up a fraction of, of what sales. we produce out to the market. So I, I think it. making it, we would have to build a whole new facility to make that type of product. Well, and um, just to to note generally about Fiddler, you know, we talked about it having multiple little offshoots. Um, the the concept with Fiddler, the, the whole name even is we knew we were going to be making a bunch of whiskeys grain to glass here in house on our our pot stills, uh, which largely trends towards the malt side of of the world. Um, but Fiddler. The name itself was because we knew we wanted to have a brand where we we don't necessarily make the whole brand, but we fiddle with it. Um, and as you might imagine, you know, towards the end of, uh, of a night of drinking was when the name came about because puns are definitely funnier after you've had a few. <laughs> they certainly uh, are. Yeah. So so Fiddler, this first one is, as Whit mentioned, um, a marriage of, you know, the MGP high wheat mash bill and our uh, soloist uh, in-house high malt and then um, other line extensions of Fiddler are sort of different compositions as well like we've got one that we haven't released yet Fiddler Syncopation which is 100% Bloody Butcher malted uh, corn varietal that we distilled entirely in-house we'll also be sampling through Fiddler Georgia Heartwood uh, and Fiddler Amberana today which are that high wheat bourbon uh, that we then do things to so um, yeah it's, it's, it's a pretty it's a fun sort of sandbox I guess is maybe how I describe it. Yeah, that's so cool. All right, well, let's check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. I heard that cheers. <laughs> I'm not quite close enough. I, I, <laughs> I reached for it. But. Air cheers. It's actually got a nice a nice nose, and there is a bit of spice on the nose. Not a lot, but it's kind of a softer spice. Sure. And that's that rye. That's that malted rye. And Yeah, so the, the portion of malted rye that's going to come through will be pretty subtle, but 
You will get a hint of that. I, I do get hints of it here and there. Yeah, and the color on it's kind of a sort of a medium amber. And at 90 proof, it, it does have a bit of legs on the glass. I'd say uh, I'm ready to taste it. Cheers, guys. Yeah, please. Cheers. And, you know, the um, the inclusion of some of our pot distilled distillate adds some nice body and viscosity that, um, you know, a lot of 90 proof bourbons that I, I've had don't necessarily um, always always have. Yeah, this has a pretty good malt component to it. I definitely, I mean, by the mash bill, it has a good malt component to sure. it, but by flavor as well. Yeah. So it plays a big part. Yeah. And... Uh, I want to say that the malt kind of overtakes the wheat and the softness of the wheat up front a little bit. It's a little more fruity. Yeah. Got a nice, uh, got a nice spice to it. It's interesting. Um, kind of, uh, unique. Have you ever had anything out on the market that you think comes close to your fiddler? I mean, fiddler unison, it's the design of it is supposed to be kind of like our entry level bourbon. It's supposed to be the most approachable. It's supposed to be, uh, something that you can either drink neat, you can blend, you can uh, make cocktails with it. Uh, it really is, I think, the answer to most of those questions, but it does with the high malt bourbon um, percentage in there, it does add a little bit of nuance of something that may be like curious, like, oh, there's something yeah. a little bit extra about it. So so you've got this mystery. Uh, you've got this distiller's palette. Uh, on this, do you get kind of uh, a nutty pear, kind of a, a little bit of a nutty pear? Sure, yeah. So when, when you say distiller's palate, so when, when I talk about flavors, everything is subjective. There's no objective truth when you're talking about flavors that you get. So one person's pear might be another person's apple or might even be another person's cherry. Uh, you know, so like you can talk fruit. I usually will use broad, broad terms. And then once we kind of agree on a broad term, we can go a little bit deeper past that. It's like, does everyone agree that there's some fruit here? Let's go a little bit into that fruit. Is it a tree fruit, like an apple or a pear? Or is it more of a stone fruit, like a cherry or a peach? Like, what is that fruit component? And if everyone can kind of agree on that, then you're kind of getting somewhere. But the only reason we use flavor notes is to uh, be able to understand what other people are tasting because mm -hmm. at the end of the day it tastes like whiskey it's whiskey that we're it drinking whiskey. it's whiskey that we're enjoying so tasting it uh we didn't add fruit to it we didn't put apples in the mash bill That's correct it's uh it's just corn wheat malt but it is chemistry barrel. it is chemistry and all it those is. flavors are chemicals that's true at the, yeah, end, at the end of the day esters. Yeah, yeah there's different esters that can give you like there's certain flavors that give off the banana flavor which jack daniels is extremely famous for is sure. that banana flavor or jim beams famous for that peanut flavor that it has in it um you know if, if there's something that we're famous for i think it's a lot of flavors uh we have through our various whiskeys, a lot of different flavors. And so do you consider, do you consider this, uh, kind of a de facto Atlanta whiskey that you guys have three tasting rooms here in the Atlanta area, right? We do. So you're serving a lot of Atlanteans whiskey every single day. ATLians. Yep. <laughs> what is it? ATLians. ATLians. Yep. <laughs> uh, has this kind of become Atlanta's brand? Um, by sales volume in terms of you know, uh, bourbons that are, are made here in Georgia, I, I think, yes, it, it sort of um, ha has become that. Uh, yeah. As to what 
people, you know, any particular individual thinks of when they think Georgia bourbon or Atlanta bourbon couldn't tell you. Um, uh, but I, I know a lot of people who, uh, who love it. So. so your tasting rooms, you have tasting rooms in all three locations. They say they all stay pretty busy. I would imagine. Yeah, especially the one. Uh, well, you know, we've got one at the Battery next to the Braves Stadium. Like, if you if you had a really good arm, uh, like the what was it, the uncle in Napoleon Dynamite, who uh, <laughs> wanted to throw the football over the mountain. If you had a really good arm, you could throw a football and hit the stadium. Um, so we we got our. That's where our vodka and gin still are. Um, that's a, a Vendome Copper Pot Hybrid still, and we've got a tasting room there, like you mentioned. So during baseball season, that. It just gets a ton of traffic. I mean, they've the um, the Braves development arm has put together a really cool ecosystem over there of a lot of local vendors. Um, the our whiskey exchange, which is where we age most of our barrels, that's on Atlanta's uh, Beltline development, which is for you know folks who aren't familiar was it was 22 miles of abandoned rail uh, railroad tracks that they have now redeveloped into not only kind of a sidewalk and transit corridor with a lot of um, cool plantings and everything, but it has a ton of breweries, um, restaurants, apartments that have sprung up next to it. Pont City Market, like we were talking about earlier uh, during during our walkthrough, um, is also right along it. So yeah, it's that's where our Rick House is storing a lot of our barrels, and then our facility here is actually not uh, not very far from the Beltline, which is um, just around the corner. But we're you know our our distillery here is right next to Sweetwater Brewery. So we get a lot of, we get some overflow from their tasting rooms and everything. So, so cool. Yeah. Let's move on to our second whiskey and, uh, and we can talk about that a little bit. Perfect. This was really good, by the way. I really enjoyed this, uh, this fiddler unison. Yeah. And I hope I get a chance to try some of the others and yeah by, by the way your tasting notes are awesome yeah, you think so yeah i mean you didn't throw out asparagus which is ideal because <laughs> uh, that's probably wrong do you get that sometimes <laughs> no, i've only gotten it once i was it was actually with duality which is gonna be the third one we're uh, sampling today but um, somebody threw out asparagus right after i'd got done saying just as wit said earlier you know everybody's taste is subjective nothing's wrong and i was like that one actually might be wrong <laughs> but, it, but it makes people feel a little bit better when they know they just can't be wrong right, right? you right. just can't be wrong because it's your palate but by goodness, right? <laughs> whatever you think it tastes like, exactly. That's your that's your memory. So I've never I've never got asparagus before. <laughs> Neither have I. I have got charred hot dogs though. Believe it out of a whiskey, out of a whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, it was a it was a smoky, sort of savory whiskey, uh -huh, and that's uh -huh. the first thing that came to mind. So sure, I felt bad about it when I said it. But <laughs> <laughs> Better than hot dog water. Better than hot dog water. <laughs> That's right. All right. So what do we have in our second glass? Yeah, you've got Resurgence Rye. Uh, so this is, uh, as Wit can probably talk to in more detail, uh, we distill it from 100% malted rye. So most ryes on the market, uh, even still today, are distilled from some combination of unmalted rye, corn, uh, and, and malted barley. So we went in a little bit different direction here. When uh, So Jim Chastine and Charlie Thompson were our founders. They had been rye whiskey drinkers uh, starting about a little over a decade ago. And when they got um, in touch with our master distiller, Justin Manglitz, through actually a uh, Jim's younger sister had been good friends with Justin in high school. So it was one of those where, you know, Jim's younger sister said, oh, I've got a friend who's, you know, uh, really talented. 
kind of eye rolling. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, uh, but turns out his uh, portfolio was fantastic and they said, we really want to make a rye whiskey. And Justin had a pretty extensive background in home brewing. He owned the homebrew supply store in downtown Athens for close to a decade. Uh, actually, that, that was sort of gave him access to ingredients to, to sort of learn on. And he said, why don't we make a malted rye, a rye malt whiskey? Um, it's pretty unique. Uh, very few, if any distilleries at the time were doing it on, at least on the East coast. Um, old Petrero, I think out West had, had come out with it and, um, that was one of his favorite whiskeys. So mm-hmm. he was inspired by that. And, um, yeah, so this was the very first whiskey that we distilled here in house on our double copper pot stills um, for Vendome. And it's just really, uh, I, you, we talked earlier, you mentioned s'mores in a glass type way of describing a, a flavor profile. I, I think this one actually is pretty close to that description as well. Um, I get a lot of graham cracker. Um, I, a lot, I think one of the common threads through a lot of our whiskeys, maybe not all of them, is a subtle chocolate note. Mm-hmm. I definitely get that in the resurgence rye and, um, I don't know if that's the power of suggestion wit may be able to um, help us understand, but it, it, it uses about what? 3% chocolate malted rye. Yeah. So there, there's a 5% chocolate. 5%, malted rye. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't take much of that. Right. No, it doesn't, it doesn't take much I of think, that. At uh, all. I think Woodford reserve had a chocolate malted rye bourbon that came out a few years back and it was, it was kind of overpowering. Yeah. They used too much. Yeah. Maybe, maybe too much. A lot of people liked it, but. Yeah, it's a very it is a very powerful um, grain indeed as far as like flavors that can translate through the distillation because a lot of flavors you can actually um, some esters you can lose in the distillation process some flavors of grains um, like corn for example especially yellow dent number two which is like the most common corn used for bourbon uh, you almost lose any corn flavor through distillation and which is honestly a good thing and the, the best thing about yellow yep. number two is because a lot of people don't want their whiskey to taste like corn um, but it's good that you lose the the flavor of those grains but chocolate malt uh, chocolate malted rye specifically is one of those that translates heavy through the distillation you can get that later yeah well, let's check it out guys yeah absolutely. cheers cheers I heard that. Again, I reached, but <laughs> couldn't, couldn't quite reach far enough. And yeah, the power suggestion is amazing because yeah. I'm, I'm picking up those notes that you mentioned earlier. Well, and with your point about the yellow dent number two, I mean, uh, the the amount of flavor that comes from the barrel for a typical bourbon is pretty high, right? Yeah. It's usually like 70, 75, sometimes even 80%. Um, because we use pot distillation, we actually lower that, that number, um, from being higher on the barrel flavor profile to a little bit, not higher on the, the grain in the distillate profile, but our distillate does take, um, doesn't take as far as a backseat, we'll say. And it's usually about 65% barrel and maybe 35% distillate. Um, we do, I mean, we're only almost seven years old as a distillery. So our oldest stuff is still five, six years old. So we still have a pretty distillate heavy flavor, but the distillate doesn't, um, it's not like an off-putting distillate. It's, it's, you get the flavors of the grains without like any off alcohol flavors. And what's the reason for that? I mean, what, why does the pot still produce a distillate that uh, carries more flavor into the barrel? Yeah, absolutely. So 
um, I'll, I'll take it back to column distillation. So in column distillation, the stills run continuously. There's no cuts that are made. Just pieces of the heads and tails essentially are removed with every plate in the column. So as it's distilled, it's losing a lot of that, but it's also losing a lot of the oils. It's losing a lot of the thickness that the spirit has. So in a pot still, we are able to translate everything. There's not a whole nother distillation. We only do two distillations, really two and a half, because we recycle a lot of the faints. Um, but in our distillation, we're able to translate um, any of the thickness that's in the spirit. Some of the oils can translate through the distillate and it will give our spirit a, um, or our white dog essentially a thicker body, thicker texture. So whenever we put into a barrel, we're actually not counting so much on the barrel to make up thickness, which is one of the, the reasons why you need a new charred oak barrel for a lot of American whiskey. Um, light whiskey is one of the ones that doesn't use that. And because of that, they have to put it into a barrel or distill it at a higher proof, or it's usually bottled at a higher proof as well. Um, but bourbon needs the thickness from the new oak to thicken up that spirit so that the final product is really thick because the distillate going in is really thin. We take our distillate, which is a very thick distillate, and we put it in a barrel for four to five years, and we have just as thick of a distillate as you would a 12-year-old bourbon. So we're able to get that thickness. We're able to get that mouthfeel and from what, a young and what, whiskey. And what proof are you going into the barrel at, typically? So it, ours actually ranges. It ranges from about 108 to 120. Um, we've done a few off ones that will go in at 125, and we've done a few in the past that have gone in at a little bit of a lower proof. But usually that's our range, and it really depends on because we make so many different products, we're, we're not able to keep filling up our tank and cutting it to the same thing. So once we're finished making a product, whatever bit of distillate will just cut it to the amount of barrels that we need. So yeah. there, there's not as much of a science as much of a, an efficiency behind that. Well, that is so cool because we've got I, you know, we've got a lot of listeners that are just whiskey geeks. Like they want to know all that stuff. Like what kind of still, what's going on, how are you guys are using your barrels. How, you just you just made their day. You, basically, you gave them all the stuff they needed to, to feel satisfied, kick back, and just enjoy their whiskey now. So absolutely, and, and about resurgence, um, uh, obviously, uh, podcast isn't a great format to, sh to show the label, but uh, I can describe it. It has a phoenix on it. Uh, resurgence is the city motto of Atlanta, um, you know, rising from the ashes it, uh, during the Civil War. It, it was burned, and uh, the the artwork on it is a phoenix done by a really great artist out of Athens named David Hale, who um, he professes to have a direct bloodline connection to Basil Hayden. Oh, really? Who, yeah, who was the first person to introduce rye into uh, otherwise corn whiskey or, or bourbon mash bills long, you know, dec uh, centuries ago. Um, so I, I thought, I've always thought that was kind of cool since our, our rye is, is uh, the artwork is done by him who has a connection to the person who introduced rye into corn whiskey. Well, speaking of the label, I just noticed that you actually print on the back of the label as well. Yeah. 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 That's cool. A little Easter egg R as the bottle, uh, you, you know, as your contents of your bottle decline and you're getting sad, at least you have the artwork to, <laughs> cool yeah well it's a it's a it's a fine whiskey and i really enjoy it and this one here uh you kind of kind of goes back in history in the company like you said 
but this one would be one that you have have some older barrels of probably that someday we might get to get to taste right yeah so we we still have the first barrel of whiskey we've ever made uh here in house so it's going to be seven years old this year same age as our distillery and i can't say for sure but it will probably be a few more years before uh it hits that shelf but we'll probably do a first barrel special release of resurgence rye in the future. So what's the goal of that 10 year rye? Is that, is that to have like a candy like kind of a well-aged rye or? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, you can look at it and set goals and set expectations, but really it's just going to be whatever it is. Um, we can move it around in the rickhouse to kind of maybe manipulate some of that a little bit, uh, manipulate the proof by going a little higher, a little lower, uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, we're, we're just going to kind of let it be what it is. Um, right now, it definitely has some some uh, sweetness. It has some uh, some thickness to it. So I can't wait to see how it evolves. So this one, we also have a very limited uh, amount of cask strength that we bottle of this as well. And each of those have won a double gold at San Francisco. Um, the cast strength won it in 2020, like the week that we all went into lockdowns, at least here in Georgia. And then, uh, resurgence, the 86 proof, which is what we're trying right now, uh, in 2021. So it's, um, to, to Witt's point about the, 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 um, distillate forward product, uh, they, they seem to, um, enjoy it at, at San Francisco as we do. Well, I am getting a little bit of the cocoa on this. It, I, I it might be the, this, the, the suggestion of the tasting notes that you gave earlier, but I think it's there. If it certainly sure. seems like it is. Yeah. yeah. Usually resurgence for me is a honey forward whiskey. All right. Well, folks, we're going to sit here and sip on our whiskeys. Uh, we'll be back after the break. We've got three more to taste on. Don't go away. As we mentioned earlier in the show, we hope you'll join us this fall on October 6th and 7th for Bourbon on the Banks. The festival itself is from 2 to 6 p.m. on October the 7th, and you can pick those tickets up at bourbononthebanks.org for $65. They also have an early access ticket for $75. It'll get you in an hour early and definitely get you access to some special pours. But if you always like that VIP access, this year they're bringing in the VIP access tickets. We'll give you access to their VIP tent and all the great things that go along with that for $175. Be sure to check out bourbononthebanks.org. You'll get all the details on this year's event. back we are still at asw distillery in atlanta we've managed to get through two of their whiskeys so far in the show we're having a great time here we've got the third whiskey that's in our glass now and why don't you tell us what it is yeah so this third one is duality double malt and um this is uh, it was originally an experiment gone right happy accident uh so when when justin was 
really perfecting resurgence. Um, he didn't have, or at least the story goes that he didn't have enough rye malt, malted rye to make a full batch. So he added, um, I think it was about a third of cherry smoked malted barley that he did have on hand and it turned out really well. And so just decided to keep experimenting with it and up that cherry smoked malted barley all the way to 50%. So this is sitting at half and half malted rye uh, and cherry smoked malted barley. And when we started doing some research, uh, we had not and still have not come across um, anyone mashing, fermenting, and distilling those two malts in the same uh, batch together. In in near equal quantities. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. In near equal quantities. Uh, And so we said, well, let's call it a a double malt. And, uh, and then when we did some more research and, you know, at least three pages worth of Google results didn't show that anybody else had done it. We said, well, I think we're the first ever double malt to have, uh, to come on the market. So I don't know if that's still true, but uh, at the time it, it sounded really fun to say that. Well, it's in print. I can see it. I can see it from here. Yeah, that's right. Duality double malt. That's right. So at the very least, there's prior art now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And speaking of art, uh, we nerd out pretty hard on all of our labels. Duality may be the nerdiest one. Uh, Not only does it have lots of Easter eggs of dual theme, you know, uh, it has a halo and a trident on it, but it also has a Scottish Gaelic translation of the passage from Macbeth that goes double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Uh, we thought that was pretty fitting for a um, double malt product that is double distilled. And so, yeah. Yeah. So when we were, when we were kids, we would sit at the, at the table in the morning with our bowl of cereal and we'd have the cereal box in front of us. And uh-huh. we, would, we would read every word on the cereal box, right? Because yep. that's what you did as a kid. Well, as adults, we do that with our whiskey bottles. So <laughs> that's right. I'm glad you're putting the Easter eggs on there for us. <laughs> uh, we just can't hide toys inside. That's, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> still illegal. Yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Is it illegal? <laughs> it kind of messes with the whiskey. It messes with the whiskey, yeah. yeah. You know, don't do it. That's right. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. All right, so we have a... Double malt. This is a rye and a barley malt whiskey. Two separate malts. You've coined the double malt. It's called Duality. Cheers. 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 That is really soft. It does have a little bit of like a, I don't want to call it a grassy note. It's kind of a like a hay or a light hay note to it. Is that normally when you're getting a note like that, like there's a lot of scotches that kind of have um, kind of like hay-like uh, qualities. So it, it would probably most likely be the barley the that's barley. contributing to some of that factor. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of malted rye on the show. It, it has malted rye as a kind of a category of rye is becoming very popular, at least. Because it is delicious. It is delicious. It is definitely different and it softens the rye to a point where it's a little more approachable by people who are not spicy whiskey drinkers Mm -hmm. but i always have trouble identifying you know what defines in the in the in my in the flavor profile what defines that malted rye you know it's it always is a little softier Mm -hmm. It, it does have a little bit more of a stone fruit kind of quality to it yeah i would say but a lot of times you do get that from the malted barley as well, right? You get those stone fruits. Yeah. So really with this, with this whiskey, um, and you know, I think it's kind of become this bridge whiskey that 
both parties of whiskey drinkers can appreciate. When I say both parties, usually like American bourbon drinkers and Scotch whiskey drinkers. Those are like the two main parties. Like you obviously have people that drink Irish whiskey and people that drink whatever, like Tennessee whiskey. But both, I think the Irish whiskey drinkers would definitely feel more um, similar to some of the European, like Scottish whiskey drinkers, as far as their flavor profile hits. And the Tennessee whiskey drinkers would probably agree that bourbon is their flavor profile as well. So I sure. usually just say American, European, but this is going to really hit both palates. And I kind of think of it as a bridge for a person that might find themselves in one camp or the other to try something that might get them more open-minded to the other camp. So uh, an American whiskey drinker is going to drink this and be like, oh, it's aged on new oak. It has that rye like flavor profile that is familiar with bourbon, uh, maybe a high rye bourbon, but also the malted rye does kind of soften it up. So it's not like a rye whiskey. I almost consider it more of that bourbon, sweet American whiskey category. But then the malted barley, it's not a peated malted barley, it's a cherry smoked malted barley. So there are going to be little hints of smoke there and a little hints of leather, but they're not overly aggressive to where it's off-putting to the American whiskey drinker. Um, it's like, oh, there's a little bit of something there that's different, but I can appreciate as well. And then the European whiskey drinkers are gonna taste them like, oh wow, I like those um, those notes that are familiar to me, the leather, the smoke, stuff that um, might they might find in a more of a scotch or a malt whiskey. Uh, but then having that new oak sweetness and rye sure. to kind of bring it together. So it really does, um, I found it to hit more palates from both camps than I found it to hit uh, neither, I would say. Sure, so, sure. Like the grand negotiator yeah. between the two. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, let's taste it. Well, cheers. 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 Yeah, for me, I, I get I get more of the malted rye than I do of the malted barley. But that's probably the way you would expect it to be, right? Sure. Because even in equal parts, the rye is going to play a bigger role. Yeah, I think, you know, that's, again, one of those things where a... It's a, it's a, subject, a subjective opinion. Someone that's more sensitive maybe to smoke might think that cherry smoked malted barley is very potent and very overpowering. But it really is just what are you looking for when you taste it? I guess you're right. So the smoke portion of it seems to be more prominent, but the actual component of the malted barley is a little bit less. So you had to kind sure. of back it off. A little. Yeah, I get it. I understand it's. It's very interesting, though. I don't really get it as a, a very smoky whiskey, though. Very no. light. Yeah. It, it is one of those that um, the smoke is there and present, but it's it's not so aggressive that someone that's sensitive to smoke might. It's also interesting. Um, the smoke coming hot off the still is a lot more pronounced, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, so as it sits in a barrel over time, like some of our older dualities are definitely less smoky than our uh, younger dualities. And when duality was first released, when it actually won a double gold medal at San Francisco, it was a one-year-old product. We've actually bumped that up to a three-and-a-half-year-old product. Okay. Well, that so, makes a difference, I'm yeah, sure. Duality yeah, duality is significantly older, significantly uh, oakier than it originally was, but it used to be a lot smokier, a lot maltier. Um, but even then, at that 12-month age statement, it won a double gold medal. So super proud of that. Yeah, it still has a nice barrel profile to it. I mean, it's got a nice bit of oak in it. Um, mm -hmm. It 
it definitely picked up a lot of the barrel, I think. We've, yeah, we've used a blend of 30 gallon and 52 gallon barrels for uh, duality for a majority, at least more recent majority of its life. So uh, we'll probably continue doing that soon and then probably back it um, to just 50 gallon or 52 gallon barrels eventually. Sounds good. Uh, on your mic, you can actually let it come in towards your a cool. little bit closer. I just, you just don't want it rubbing against your t-shirt. Gotcha. That's the only thing. So you're fine. Yeah. Sometimes I talk with my hands and move things around, bump things. Oh, you're fine. Get crazy. Uh, you'll never even hear it. It's just me <laughs> being kind of nerdy about it. Sure. It's all good. I appreciate it. Yeah. you. I, I love it. <laughs> well, this is really good. I'm enjoying it a lot. I, one thing I want to make sure of is we don't confuse our listeners too much because this category is an American whiskey. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is clearly an American whiskey. We don't have an American single malt category yet, although we do know it's coming. Mm -hmm. it, it's on its way. We'll have it soon, probably within a year, I hope. And if this you, will not qualify. I think the category has to be malted barley specifically. Oh, and because this is 50% malted rye and 50% malted barley, it may not. Uh, once the... Uh, Standard of definition is finalized. I, I don't know that this would, but this would definitely fall under the category of whiskey. So an American single malt is not under the same definition as a Scotch single malt. I actually don't know the standard of definition just for Scotch single malt, but I do know Scotch whiskey has to have a three-year minimum age to be considered to be, Scotch whiskey. Single malt, uh, Scotch single malt has to be eight. Distilled in a pot still as well. Yeah. In a pot still. Yeah. And a single malt is from a single distillery. And so it's, it's, non, it's not blended product from multiple distilleries. Right. Yeah. I think American single malt. Will be a single, from a single malted grain. Like, I think they'll allow diversity within the malted barley subset. But it will be barley. I think it, I think it will have to be barley. So that's what the rumblings we're hearing. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Unlike the double pot stilled whiskey. Which would be, no, actually, it would be the same as a double, except that's not all malted. That's half or partially unmalted whiskey, right? Yeah, some of it, yeah. And like uh, Irish whiskey, the, the triple distilled, um, it uses partially unmalted and malted barley with our Irish style whiskey. But yeah, I think one of the things that you'll find through our uh, catalog too is that we make a lot of different styles of whiskey and really big shout outs to Justin. I want to make sure he's getting fair credit. So he, he taught me how to make all this whiskey. He's been making whiskey for 25 years and makes really fantastic stuff. Um, he's learned, designed this whiskey just over years of experience and has found stuff that really translates fantastic. I've been lucky enough to learn under him, train under him and He's actually let me uh, start making some of my own mash bills. They'll be ready in a few years. Um, so hopefully when they come out, they'll be as exciting as Justin's. Well, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Well, it seems like you know your stuff. I, I mean, appreciate You definitely that. talk the talk. <laughs> and, and the whiskey's good. So, hey, let, let me back up a little bit. We've had the Fiddler bourbon first in the show. Then we had the Resurgence rye. And now we're having the, the duality double malt. This is a American whiskey, but it is a malt whiskey made with malted rye and malted barley. Yep. These three bottles, where are they priced at on the shelf? Just so our listeners have an idea where they can, you know, kind of find these bottles. Yeah. Fiddler Unison is, it depends on which store. Sure. Uh, but anywhere from 35 to, to 41, call it. Okay. Um, Resurgence Rye sits anywhere from about 
four, usually around 44 okay. on the shelf. Uh, duality is, um, that's, do you remember what? I think that's sitting at like 50, yeah, it's around 55. 50. It's a little more crafty. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, think, you would expect there's a little bit more. Uh, I think you can find it from 45 to 60 in okay. the price range. Yeah. Right. We, we do offer cast strength versions of both Resurgence Rye and Duality Double Malt. So, yeah, people do love the cast strength. That, that is a very popular trend. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, rumor has it that <laughs> cast strength is, <laughs> and that kind of leads us into. So we're gonna we're gonna have a couple more of your whiskeys here as we finish up the show today. But um, uh, you guys do single barrels as well. We do. And uh, so you do castering versions of your whiskeys as well as single barrel offerings. Correct. And um, what's it like? I mean, what's the, what kind of groups are doing single barrel picks with you guys? Um, hmm, that's, uh, I've never really had are, to define are, this. Are, are they, are they liquor stores primarily with uh, groups behind them? Are they liquor stores that are looking to, just expand their their offering it's i would say it's about maybe half to a little more than half are you know liquor stores who just love having single barrels on the floor sure uh maybe a quarter are liquor stores with groups behind them and then a quarter are working directly with groups who might have a partner liquor store you know that they work with but it's ultimately just corresponding directly with them having them in um thiefing from the barrel directly for them etc and what's it like to visit the distillery here i mean if you're a, it is a blast i bet it yeah. is yeah. i mean it's it's a pretty grand place this location, we haven't seen your other two locations, but this one's, you said it's around 60,000 square feet. The whole building. Yeah. Um, and our space, I think by now, when you include the the rickhouse space in the back that we've recently annexed to our uh, facility is probably around 30,000 square feet at this point. Does that sound right, Whit? Yeah, I would say so. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit of a numbers guy, but not the best numbers guy. Yeah, so it's, it's a long walk, right, to get to the back. Yeah, it takes a minute. Yeah, you get your steps in when you're when you work here. You know, I bet. Yeah. Um, so, so the tasting room here is uh, at the original distillery, about fifteen hundred square feet. And then you get to see the production area. Our Rick House on the Beltline in the West End is about a. 2,500 square foot tasting room. Uh, and there you get to see um, even more barrels. Uh, people love looking at barrels because they're really pretty. And then we've got our battery facility, which the tasting room there is about, I think, 2,500 square feet when you factor in both spaces. And you can see our um, vodka and gin still there. So if somebody comes to your Armory Place location where we are today, this is the main distillery. This is your this is your still house. This is where you produce the majority of your distillate. Although you do make distillate at the other location as well. Clear spirits there, aged spirits here. Right, exactly. Somebody can take a tour here. They what? They they walk on a tour. Everything's explained to them. They get to they get to see it from grain to glass, basically here, right? Yeah. So we do tours on mostly on weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Um, we have some guided, I think we call them barrel tours, which are like super special tours that I think it's like a paid tour you can do on Sundays, but on Friday and Saturdays we do just our standard tours and those are fantastic. Uh, those are really the times our tasting rooms open. Uh, Jesse, Colleen usually are here. They're fantastic and do a great job. Uh, they're always asking me questions. So they've pretty much 
heard me say everything. So, and they're really good at repeating whatever. No, your barrel tour, do they thief, do they thief from the barrel? I do believe so. Don't quote me on that for sure. Okay. Well, that would be really <laughs> cool. People love that part of it. So whatever is legal, they do that. They do what's legal. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, don't, don't quote me. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, you know, the, so we had to get really creative early on when we first opened our tasting rooms, we were not allowed to serve cocktails and we could only serve three half ounce samples, which I mean, you know, it wasn't a huge draw, right? That's like yeah. three thimblefuls of whiskey. Fortunately, the laws have gotten a lot better. Um, now we're able to, you know, if you want to sample anything we make, you can come and sample anything we make. And we now are allowed to make cocktails so long as we don't use any alcohols that are made outside of our four walls. So what that means is, for example, a Manhattan is difficult to make, right? Because we yeah. don't make a vermouth. Yeah. So they, they've gotten really creative on ways to make the classics while still just using alcohols we make. And so for example, with a Manhattan, they infused fig into our Fiddler Unison and that fig infused Fiddler Unison became effectively the vermouth that, uh, it was just an extremely <laughs> boozy riff on a Manhattan because yeah. um, vermouth is a lot less alcohol than. Well, bourbon. you're not alone. I've, we've, we've toured a lot of distilleries around the country and we've been places where they're not allowed to put anything into their drinks that mm -hmm. they don't make Yep, at all. So they're, you know, they're, so they're having to make their, they're own, making their own bitters. Yeah, they're making exactly. their own bitters. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really something. So, right. yeah, the laws are a bit archaic and they're hard to overcome, but they are being overcome slowly and surely. And the more we get around and the more we talk to distillers, we find that they're, uh, they're working with state legislatures right. to get things changed. So that, that one you mentioned is a really weird law because you'd think lawmakers would want these whiskey these spirits to be diluted a little bit you yeah know, but, I, no or, no it's it's, it's weird it's you know the rules are made to um to to basically prop up prohibition after prohibition right. and then you know slowly it's going to take two three generations for all that to disappear but that's right anyway it's great to see that those things are happening so you have a full cocktail bar we sure do yeah and you've got uh, people working behind the cocktail bar that know how to make things happen exactly that's awesome. And and you also have um, like a, an event center here. You have people come in and weddings. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so all three of our locations have uh, private event, separate private event spaces, as well as the ability to rent out the tasting rooms for private events. So um, we've hosted, as you mentioned, weddings. Uh, we've hosted corporate fundraisers we've hosted holiday parties for companies you know that just it runs the gamut um we've we've hosted like dragon con uh related are you familiar with what dragon con i don't is? know what it is but it, it sounds like some like D and D convention. Right. Sure. Yeah, it I mean, is. That's not that far <laughs> off. So uh, every Labor Day weekend, there's uh, just a gigantic. I mean, people dress up for it. It's really, really fun uh, institution in Atlanta. But people, you know, we've had a, adjacent things related to to that. Um, so it really does range. All right. Well, I, I finished off what I was drinking. I reached for the next glass. Yeah. And I can see the bottle from here. This, yeah, we, we almost, uh, I think we messed your segue up because you had this this single barrel cast strength segue teed up. And then we, uh, sorry. Well, we, we went down that rabbit <laughs> hole. That's okay, though. Yeah. People want to know what they can see when they come visit you guys. Yeah, so that's absolutely. good that we took that little side road for a minute. Yeah. Uh, this is the Fiddler Georgia Heartwood. Can you tell me a little bit about this single barrel? Yeah, this is... Um, uh, the MGP 45% wheat mash bill that um, is delicious of its own right, 
And then Justin, would you say, would you say every January he harvests or at least the last few Januaries he's gone and harvested oak up in North Georgia? Yeah. He's, he spends a, a lot of time working with oak specifically for this product. Yeah. So the original, so, so the premise of this product is it's that 45% wheat mash bill that we then finish on anywhere from 15 to 30 staves of Georgia oak that we harvest. The very first round of harvesting was Justin and his dad, um, up in, I think it was Jackson County, Georgia, who harvested three white oak trees that had fallen during a storm, split out the heartwood from the sapwood, uh, into slabs, season the slabs for, uh, I don't know, 18 or more months. And then from there, they quarter those slabs into uh, little staves that are then hand charred. And then we put those into they the fit barrel. through the bone hole. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. So um, this most recent, I think he was on a, a friend's property in Habersham County or Rabin County. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so they just go out and harvest every January um, when the, the, is it the sap is a, is not in the oak? Yeah, so so essentially what happens is uh, during the winter, the, the sap gets pulled away from the wood, and the wood is nice and dry. So harvesting a tree exactly within, I think it's a two-month range where the, the sap has left the wood, and that's when you want to harvest it because if you harvest the tree, fell it when there's still sap in the wood, it's going to reduce the amount of usable wood that you can Used for a barrel, or at least the amount of good tasting wood, and you could still yeah. use it for uh, for staves or for finishing wood, but it wouldn't taste good. So something tells me that sapwood would be bitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. It's not great. So ha- except having, except maple sap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're we're talking about oak here, though. That's yeah, right. We're talking about oak, and it, it's a very like like you know a lot of people can just take whiskey, put in a barrel or take whiskey and finish it on wood. But having that knowledge to understand the trees and understand like this tree being this old or the saps on the tree at this point will affect the flavors in this way just makes it a super like well thought out process. So the way that we fiddled with this fiddler whiskey is by adding Georgia Oak to it, which is the first whiskey ever legally aged on Georgia Oak. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that Georgia Oak, I mean, it, it affects it pretty much every way it could possibly. I mean, you look at it in the glass and it's just this incredibly dark red, beautiful hue. It adds not only Oak character, but a different, uh, I I almost get a maple style note to it, even though it is Oak, um, that, that I have quite frankly, never, um, I was going to say the nose on it's kind of, uh, kind of a mix between for me anyway the nose is kind of a mix between like maple and like sassafras sure a little bit of sassafras on it the sass like root beer style root beer style but without without too much sweetness i mean it's got a little bit of sweetness to it but but it's got that uh, that extra spice that comes from sassafras yeah it's interesting How, how do you think of this how does he think of this stuff i mean it's just I guess you're from Georgia. You want to put a little Georgia in every bottle, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Justin, uh, his like thought of creativity, um, specifically behind this product was wanting to, I think they wanting to have a single barrel program, but our unison was a blended product. They're like, well, how can we fiddle with a single barrel that we source and it not just be bottled 
sourced whiskey? Like, how do we how do we make it special? How do we make it our own? Because we don't want to just take someone's whiskey and put it in a bottle. We want to make sure that we do something to it. And most of our products, most of our line is made in house, but this one, we're like, well, let's do something that hasn't been done. Let's put it on Georgia oak. Let's use unused trees, unused wood. So that has a sort of a spice combination that's different than anything I've had before. I, I want to say that it, it's very similar to the nose on the on the on the palate. Mm. It, it's got that kind of sassafrasy, spicy note to it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, this this is our answer kind of to the oak bomb that the bourbon heads that are looking for the 12, 15 year old um, bourbons. You know, they they want something that that has that thickness, that has that oak, and this is kind of our answer to it. This right is now. very dark. Yeah, I mean it's it's mahogany in color. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it does have a, a bit of uh, viscosity to it. It does. Yeah, this one is our biggest single barrel offering. I mean, we'll have, I don't remember how many barrels this year, um, but we have a good good number of them uh, for not only Georgia, but outside the state as well. And uh, it has really, uh, a lot of the bourbon groups we send samples to really, really gravitate towards this. We might have to do a bourbon road pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was about, I was about to say, how many podcasts have we had do barrel picks? Yeah. I don't think uh, we have. Oh, it could be the first one. There you go. Yeah. Could be we the might first have one. to do it. We need a partner, though. Well, we, we have to find a partner. You guys don't sell from the... You do sell bottles from here? We do. And uh, it actually is a, a good segue that, um, you know, we're in... I, I think I mentioned earlier this episode with states we're in, but probably the next state we would expand to we don't know the exact timeline but would would be kentucky so okay yeah we've um we've gotten a lot of interest and feedback from people hey please come up here so well, yeah i mean why not i mean kentucky is we've got a lot of bourbons up there already but we also have a big appetite for bourbons in kentucky so and a lot of people come to kentucky looking for bourbon and they can't always get those um those unicorns they're looking for in fact most often they don't get the unicorns they're looking for uh, but they're, the second thing they're looking for is single barrels, mm-hmm. you know, special offerings, things they can't get anywhere else. And a Georgia Hartwood Fiddler, my goodness, that would be something that people would look for, I think. That's really good, by the way. That's that's an excellent, excellent bourbon. Thank you. Well, thank you. And and the, what was the proof on this? Like 108? Yeah, so no, this one, this one ranges from, uh, I think it's like 115 to 120. Um, so I think this one's closer to the 180. 116, I think. What it's this uh, full flavor on the palate. Mm-hmm. There's, and, and it's got plenty of power behind it. So it's a good solid whiskey that it's for sipping. You definitely don't want to mix this with anything. Just Indeed. just enjoy it the way it is. That's right. And if you need to put it on an ice cube, put it on an ice cube. But I think it's really good the way okay. it is. Yeah. Okay. I see another bottle we haven't touched yet. Yeah. yeah this one, I think, is all wit. I mean, uh, it's all wit. Yeah. So this one's a newer product line. Um, Fiddler Amburana. So Amburana, if you're not familiar uh, with the wood, it is a tree native to Brazil. And the uh, woods, I think, genus is uh, very closely related to legumes. So um, I don't know if any nuts actually grow on this tree, but it would be in the family or the genus of that style of tree. Now, is an oak tree a nut tree? Because of the acorns? Yeah, because of the acorns. Right, yeah, got so. it. Okay. Yep. Um, this one, I don't believe, is a, is 
uh, I may need to double check, but I don't believe this is a type of oak. I believe this is kind of its own separate thing. This has been a sufficiently nerdy show, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So this is great. I love yeah. it. Um, but Amgurana uh, is has extremely unique flavor profile, like super different, super unique in what it offers to the whiskey. The barrels that we use did help hold Cachaça, which is a, a Brazilian, I want to say it's a rum style um liqueur um but it's um i don't know if it's a liqueur or spirits it's it's kind of like a in the rum style though uh cachaca is but these previously held cachaca but the flavor is like super floral and the aroma is extremely fragrant um so yeah when you stick your nose in there you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, even just pouring it right then with, I, it just filled the whole room with oh, the yeah. bouquet. So in our Rick house, there's a spot where the Amburanas are. And as you're walking towards that area, you can smell it. Like I actually had the opportunity to, with Chad walked us past those barrels. And I have to say that we got to really put our nose up to it. And yeah. It's different. It's super totally different. Yep. So really is, is anybody else working with that wood at all? Yeah, there are a few. Um, I, I do believe uh, Starlight and Nulu have kind of, uh, at least when it, when it comes to barrel finishes, they've been experimenting with many barrel finishes. And I think that they do that. Some places will do a cigar batch mm-hmm. um, and they'll use a, a portion of Amburana or full Amburana in what they call a cigar batch just because it pairs well with tobacco sure. um, because of how potent it is. Um, we try to make our Amburanas not overpowering because it doesn't take long. It really, a few weeks, a month, two months, like that's all it takes. It does not take much time in this barrel at all to uh, get the flavors that it needs. Um, much more time it's going to kind of blow out and be. So these barrels are pretty expensive, I would imagine. Are you able to use them more than one time? Yeah, so we've actually been able to use uh, barrels uh, two, three times, um, we're going to experiment and try to use them up to, up to four times if we can. I mean, the potency of them, just ridiculous. Um, being a first fill will only take a few weeks, a month. And then from there, the second fills take about two months. Uh, third fill, we haven't fully matured hours in a third fill yet, but, uh, I mean, it still has a lot of flavor to give. So, and then when that's over, you'll get you'll give them off to a, a brewery in town or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's going to be something that I mean, brewers are always trying to experiment, always trying to push the boundaries. Uh, so I think that's easily something that they could experiment with. So at the core of it, what is Amburana? So Amburana, uh, when we do our Amburana finished bourbon. I think our goal is to kind of push the boundaries of what whiskey can be. I mean, other people are experimenting with it, but we want to kind of put our own spins on it. And this has been something that has, um, I mean, a lot of people interested, even non-whiskey drinkers have tasted this and been like, wow, that's super different, super unique. Uh, my father-in-law, who's really into rum, uh, he, this is his favorite whiskey of, of our offerings. So this is kind of a, opportunity for other people to try something and be like, wow, that's not what you expect when you taste whiskey. And I think also for the whiskey drinker too, the average whiskey drinker, um, some, some whiskey drinkers are thrown off by it and maybe even uh, off put by it, but others are looking for that. They're always looking for how can whiskey be different? How can uh, I find something new? I mean, the collector, this is right up their alley, just trying to get something really different, really unique. 
Yeah, this has some spice in it that's not typical to whiskey. Mm-hmm. This is something I think I heard you mention earlier something about cinnamon rolls. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I do believe it's got that. It's probably a little bit more of a what would a bourbon what would a whiskey be like if we treated it a little bit like a gin? Sure. You know? I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely think. I mean, because there's very heavy floral notes on there. Yeah. So on the nose, like you're getting floral. If uh, I mean, if you overdo it, like we've seen some barrels that almost get a little perfumey after a while, and sure. that's just how aggressive it can be. Um, but yeah, and on the palate, that cinnamon heavy. Um, I have like one friend that's like, oh, it tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. Like that's that's the only tasting note they get on it. They're like so cinnamon toast crunch breakfast cereal. So, yeah. So what's the core whiskey here? Yeah, this is uh, this is MGP. Uh, weeded bourbon. So most most of the whiskey that we fiddle with in our fiddler line, uh, if it is a sourced bourbon, it has been that weeded MGP. Yeah, we may consider some different mash bills in the future, but uh, really the weeded MGP is what we fiddle with the most. So currently. this is one of those whiskeys that is a bourbon, starts as a bourbon. It's still a bourbon when you're done, yeah. more or less. But because of the wood aspect of it and the, what you've done with it and the finishing, it comes off as something like altogether different. Something yeah. you. I mean, I've always said that gin is my other bourbon. I love gin. I I like it a lot. Um, And the varieties of gin really get me excited sometimes. This is kind of that that bourbon as a gin kind of thing. This is a bourbon. Yeah. Wow. Fully qualifies as a bourbon, but it's got those great floral notes and... Well, I don't know if we're going to have time for it today, but we, we got to sample you on our barrel rested gin because it was aged in bourbon barrels. Yeah. And you're going yeah, to, I, I think I'd like that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I've had a fantastic, oh, by the way, what was the, what was the price on these two? Just so people know, are they in that same typical range or? They're, uh, the heartwood sits usually around 80 on the shelf. <laughs> okay. So these are single barrels. That's right. And then the Amberana usually around eighty five. Okay, and that's fair. These are these are sort of specialty single barrel whiskeys. And uh, what was the proof on the Amberana? Do you remember? Uh, so this one is usually similar to Heartwood, but I think it's a little more dialed in right at the uh, one fourteen to one sixteen. Okay, is usually where this one hits. So we're paying a little bit more for these, but we're getting a little bit more. Uh, we're getting a single barrel. We're getting it at. Uh, Cast strength. Cast strength. And we're getting something that has a little bit of special craft touch put to it. Yeah. And the Amberana barrels are a G. Yeah. So it's a, you're getting a little bit of an Amberana barrel in every bottle. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Guys, we've had such a great time today. And I know when we're finished here, there's a couple more we get to try. So I'm really excited about that too. Absolutely. Um, Five whiskeys. A great view at the ASW Distillery and what you guys are doing here in Atlanta. Uh, we've had such a great time. We hope we get to come back again and test some things in the future. Thanks for having us on the show and uh, for dropping by on your your way back up to Kentucky. Absolutely. So, how can people find you guys on the internet, on social media? Where are you, where are you at on ASWDistillery.com dot com, and uh, we're on Instagram and and Facebook. ASW Distillery. We also for people who are um, who gravitate more towards the single barrel end of the spectrum. We have a, a barrel group as well called uh, all things ASW distillery on, on Facebook so that we um, we're a little more active there and just posting where single barrels are dropping and stuff like that. They call me Whitsky on Instagram. They call you Whitsky. Whitsky. Yeah. Are you, do you only Instagram for you? 
Yeah, it's, it's all I'm, the time you got. You're a distiller, right? Yeah, yeah right. I'm usually usually on Instagram. So he's also yeah. a great skateboarder. He's he's uh, done some like what what have you done in the over barrels and stuff, kickflips and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I skate in the rickhouse when I can. Um, oh wow, well, there's but, plenty of room back there to do yeah, it. Yeah, right. Oh, well, until you fill it up with more barrels. <laughs> that's right. Well, for now, anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, gentlemen. We really appreciate. It. We had a great time today, and. Uh, I, we kind of look forward to introducing these to uh, some of our listeners. We hope they get a chance to try them. Well, we are The Bourbon Road. You can find us on all social media outlets as The Bourbon Road. You can also find us on our website, thebourbonroad.com, where we have our swag. We have uh, our articles. You can also listen to our podcast there. We have a private Facebook group called The Bourbon Road. It's kind of our core followers, our core listeners, about 3,500 of them that just love to listen to the show and share their whiskeys and talk about things that have been on the show. Uh, we hope you'll uh, check that out. Just go on to Facebook and uh, type in The Bourbon Roadies, and I'm sure it'll come up. You'll have to join, answer three questions. We want to make sure you're 21. You know you're getting yourself into a bourbon group and you agree to play nice because we just don't accept any rudeness in that group and definitely no selling of whiskeys. So, but you can share them with each other. In fact, we encourage that. You should always share your whiskeys with your friends. We hope you listen to every single show that comes out on the Bourbon Road. Every Wednesday we come out with an episode. We'll be out on the road. We'll be at a distillery. We'll have somebody in-house. We'll uh, we'll have a musician on or a chef or a, sometimes an author. It's always a fun time. We're always drinking whiskey. Make sure you check us out every single week. And make sure you don't miss one. Be sure to scroll on up to the top of that app and hit that subscribe button. Hit that plus sign, that uh join button, whatever it might be to get uh, that app to remind you every single week when an episode comes out and you won't miss one. If you've got an idea for a show or a whiskey, if your hometown's got a distillery that's doing it right, make sure you let us know about it. We'll shine a little light on them. I am Jim Shannon. This is The Bourbon Road, and we will see you down The Bourbon Road. <laughs>